the Holy Gospel according to Mark. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came forward to Jesus and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And Jesus said to them, What is it you want me, you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to, to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They replied, We are able. Then Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. When the ten heard this, they began to be angry with James and John. So Jesus called them and said to them, You know that among the Gentiles those whom they recognize as their rulers lorded over them, and their great ones are tyrants over them, but it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Gospel of the Lord. I invite you all to be seated. So uh, we hear something that here lately is, has begun to sound like a really familiar anthem that we can probably sing every word to every four years, you know, the presidential election. And, and I don't relax. I'm not going to talk about politics in that way. But, you know, I, I think we've, we've all become used to the circus of it, haven't we? The, the parade of people who come through and say, I'm so smart, and my plan is what's good for America. All these other people are dumb, and whatever they do are going to wreck America. And this person who's in office now, he's been wrecking America for, insert, four or eight years, depending on how long they've been in office. It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter what party they belong to. It barely even matters what decade we're in. They sing the same song every two years for Congress and every four years for the general election. Y'all, are, y'all have noticed this too, I'm sure. You know, and, and it's, it's kind of, it, it gets so tiresome to me because it's a continuous parade of people that I don't think I would trust with a potato gun, let alone our nuclear arsenal. It, and I, I find myself every four years kind of disappointed by who we have. And we know that this is not something new, but it's been going on for a long time. In the gospel today, we have something very similar. We have James and John, two of Jesus' disciples, names that we recognize, who are coming to Jesus and asking him, Jesus, give us everything that we ask for. Now, I don't, I don't have kids, but I've been a kid, and I know what happened when I asked my parents for whatever I wanted. You know, first of all, Dad would look at me like I was crazy, and second of all, I wouldn't get it. Because third of all, usually whatever I asked for, even though it sounded really fun and interesting at the time, probably wasn't the thing that I needed. And and as a child, a lot of the things I asked for were things like, can I have a third bowl of ice cream? You know, can I have... And growing up in the 80s, it was, can I have my 17th G.I. Joe figure, right? And you can insert whatever toy happens to be popular now for that. And, you know, it was... 
And I figured out along the way that it wasn't just that mom and dad didn't want me to have any fun. It wasn't just that mom and dad wanted for me to be absolutely miserable. They actually wanted something better for me. Sometimes not giving me the things I asked for was actually a way of telling me that they love me. There's a, there's a book that C.S. Lewis wrote called The Great Divorce. It's about that thick. You can probably read it in an afternoon. And the premise of it is that somebody dies and they, and they wake up and they're in hell. And spoiler alert, it turns out that it's a dream. So it's not really all that sad. But what they discover when they get there is that hell is not this place where there's burning and fire and gnashing of teeth, where everyone's absolutely miserable. Well, that last part is true. Everybody is miserable, but it's not because they're burning and gnashing teeth. They're miserable because hell is a place where you get everything you want. You get your every heart's desire. And it turns out that people in hell, what they want are things that are selfish. The things that they want continually separate them from the people around them so that you discover that the people who have been in hell for a long time have constantly moved farther and farther and farther away from the community as they become more deeply enmeshed and mired and stuck in the desires of their hearts. Hell is a place where our ultimate selfishness wins the day. And I have always thought that this is a really interesting way of viewing what hell is. Because I don't know about y'all, but I'm somebody who has very few middle-of-the-road opinions. I, I tend to think that I'm right, and that what I think ought to happen, and I usually feel pretty strongly about that, whatever it is. And throughout my life, there are a lot of things that I've discovered aren't necessarily all that great for me that I want. You know, when I, was, when I was 16 and 17 and 18, I made the wonderful decision that I should be a smoker. You know, obviously this was something that I wanted that wasn't good for me, right? Eventually I did decide I wanted to quit, which was a better decision, but, you know, I would have been much better off had I never decided to do it in the first place, right? For a long time, I realized that I can do what I want because I'm an adult, so I had that third bowl of ice cream every day, and I had the figure to choose it, to prove it. You know, it, it takes a lot of hard work, and in my case, a little bit of surgery to take care of that. It's, the, the more I find that I get what I want, the more difficult I really find my life is. And I've been married, it'll be uh, 15 years in March to Lauren. And we all know what it's like when we go into our house to our spouse and tell them exactly what we want and expect that they're just going to drop everything and give it to you, Right? that doesn't usually work out very well. When, when all we want is what we want, and when all we do is work toward getting to things that are going to give us more control and more power and more stuff, we end up being very lonely and pretty miserable. Now, I don't think that's what the disciples were necessarily asking for, but isn't that the end result of people who seek power and influence and stuff above everyone else. You know, the, the person who is absolutely obsessed with the things that they do, are they really people that we want to be around? The person who is constantly obsessed with getting more money, are they people that we really want to talk to? Are they people that tend to be our friends? The person who's constantly obsessed with getting the next and greatest thing, even though I, I do have an iPhone 6 set, but that's beside the point. You know, are, are the people who are constantly bragging about everything that they have the people we really want to be around? 
You know, are, are the people that we really want in our lives the ones who are constantly trying to manipulate us so that, we can, so that we'll do whatever they want us to do? That's the difference between who the world holds up as great and who God's kingdom holds up as great. And we see it in the election that the people who are looking to get elected are the people who think they're the brightest, who think they're the smartest, who think they're the most wonderful, who think that they're, they're the ones who have the plan, the only plan for the United States of America. And if anybody else's plan happens to get in, then we're all doomed. And we see what happens with that. We see the disappointment that we have day after day in the way our government operates. We see day after day the people who are hungry because we haven't figured out how to care for them. We see day after day the people who don't have clothes, who don't have shelter, the very people who God tells us are the people that God prefers are the people that we leave out. We see what that leads to. It leads to a culture where it says rich is good and poor is bad, that rich is a moral good and poor is a moral bad, that the one who has the bank account is the one who is good and the one who doesn't is bad that the one who has a nice car is the one who's obviously the smartest and the one who doesn't is obviously not. And one of the things we struggle with so hard in our lives is an identity crisis about what it really means to be a good person. Because I, I'm not bad. You know, I, I don't do anything really intentionally mean to anybody. I'm not that bad a guy. You know, I... I don't judge myself by my bank account. Well, thank God, I'm a pastor. You know, I, I don't judge myself by my house or my car. But part of who I am is a guy who has a house, a bank account, and a car, right? It's awfully hard to know who I am apart from those things. It's awfully hard to know who I am apart from the fact that just the fact that I'm a guy makes my life a little bit easier, right? On the one hand, we're not always wrapped up in those things that make us who we are. But on the other hand, it's hard to know who we are apart from those things, isn't it? What Jesus gives us through this conversation with James and John is a way out. Jesus is giving us a way out of the trap of stuff, the trap of ego, the trap of always needing to get what we want by introducing us to what it looks like to be great in the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is a place where we are not great based on what we have, but we are great based on what we give. We're not great based on what we accumulate for ourselves, but we're great based on what we do for people who don't have. We're based on what we do for people who need love. We're based on what we do for the people who need to know that there, are, there is somebody out there who cares about them when they are feeling lost and alone and afraid and broken. And greatness in the kingdom of God, when we become this person, who helps those who need help. This person who supports those who need support. This person who loves people who need love. Even sometimes when the people who have love are also the people who think they're the smartest and the greatest in the room. You know, that greatness in the kingdom of God means stopping putting ourselves first and putting someone else in front of us. And on the one hand, we recognize that this is so freeing because these are the people we love to be around, right? The people who are always giving are often people who have people surrounding them and who are well-loved. It's a nice side effect of being a nice person. But 
it also really kind of kind of grates at me because I still want what I want and I, I still do want to control the things that I can control. You know, when we, when we confess in the morning and we say we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves, we've sinned against God in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we've left undone. We've not loved God with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors or ourselves. You know, when we say those confessions, the things that come to my heart and to my mind are the things that constantly tell me that I should be the one who is in charge because I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and people like me, right? We've heard that before in our, not just on Saturday Night Live, but I think we've heard that also in our own hearts and minds before. What we confess on Sunday mornings is that we are not the ones who have all the answers, but we seek the grace and the love and the mercy of the one who teaches us something different than, the, than what the world teaches us. That to be great means that we give it all up. And that's both wonderful and terrible. And it's no wonder that the disciples continually and always get this wrong. Because they're people. And they're humans. And the human tendency is always to want what we want. And to want to be in charge and to want to have all the good stuff. Even if it does mean other people don't have any. And the good news about what it means to be people of God is that God knows this about us. God recognizes this tendency in our heart. And even, God, even though God doesn't accept this, God loves us in spite of it. The good news for us is that God is the one who is not selfish. God is the one who is constantly giving himself to us, demonstrating to us what love looks like. God is the one who doesn't make power grabs, but God is the one who gives power away in order to demonstrate that real power looks like love because real power is something that builds people up, not something that tears people down. The good news about God is that God sees our hearts and knows our brokenness and knows our egotism and knows our shame and knows our need to control things and also the the terror that comes from our helplessness. God sees our hearts and our minds and our souls and loves us and declares that in the midst of our brokenness, whether our brokenness is the sense of our own powerlessness or whether the, the brokenness is our own illusion of control, God plants the cross in that place and declares that new life begins here. Because one thing we know about what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God is once you're in, you're in, and God's love never changes. So what we struggle with this week in some ways is the same thing we struggle with every week, right? As we leave from this place, this kind of practice session where we remember what it means to be a person of God and go out into the world and try to do it when the real game begins. You know, we, we think about what our lives are like. What are the things that that we grab onto and hold onto, whether it's healthy or not, that we just need to let go of? What are some things that we let slip through our fingers because they're inconvenient but important? People in our lives who we, we need to seek forgiveness from or people we need to forgive. I have a neighbor who I argue with more than anything else, and I seek forgiveness for this all the time, and it doesn't make that relationship any better, but 
it does mean that I'm constantly aware of the fact that I am called to love this person, even though I don't always think they're very likable. What does it mean as we go out from this place to seek the greatness of the kingdom of God? How is it that the message that we gave to the kids, you know, you don't have to be an adult to, be a di- to make a difference, but the little things that we do make a difference. How does that translate into, we are adults. The things that we do make a difference to a lot of people. How do we go out and live a life that demonstrates to the people around us the greatness of the kingdom of God? The greatness of the kingdom of God that tells us the good news that we don't have to be in charge and we don't have to hold on to those things that weigh us down and that we can let go of those things that we have no control over because we trust in the God who does have control and who exercises it by giving it away. Amen.